We're doing a series, Doing Life God's Way. And for two weeks, last week and this week, we're talking about talents. Last week, I underscored that each of you, as a believer in Christ, has been gifted uh, to serve in the body of Christ uh, on some level, some level. And uh, today, we want to talk about this subject, how are you responding to God's trust in you? It is a astounding thing to think of the fact God is trusting you. I think that uh, when I think of that, God's gifts are on deposit with you. Can he trust you to use them the way he wants? Now, God has been good to all men. Uh, James said every good and perfect gift that comes down from above, comes from above, God's a source. According to Matthew 5, he said, when you don't know how to treat your enemies, study God. God gives sun to his enemies. He gives rain to his enemies. He's good to all men. There's an astounding verse in 1 Timothy 4.10. It says, Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. So he does a, can you think of how many times God spares the life of the unsaved so that they reach 70 years, 80 years? Uh, You didn't get here by yourself. God has kept you alive. He's been good to you. He's watched you. He has given you your breath. He gave you your intelligence. He gave you your family. He gave every. I mean, even men and women who do not love God or know Jesus Christ are blessed, 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 and they may attribute it to crystals, trees, the sun, but it's God. God is a gracious and he's bestowed all kinds of gifts upon us. Everything good about your life, God's the author of it. Everything, saved or unsaved. But notice this, God has entrusted his people with the gospel and with spiritual gifts. Listen to these verses. It says, we have been put in trust with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We have been put in trust with the gospel. You read 1 Timothy 1.11. I am preaching the gospel which he entrusted to me. He put on deposit with me. He said, I preach Christ. I'm doing the preaching which God entrusted to me. Listen to this. I want you to go into all the world. This is Jerusalem, 35 A.D. No internet, no buses, no planes. No trains. I want you to share the gospel, baptize, and disciple. There was a fictitious story that went out that when Jesus got to heaven, the angels gathered around him. They saw the wounds in his body. They knew that he had died. They attended the crucifixion. They watched. They knew he'd been buried. They knew he'd been resurrected. And when he got back to heaven, 
they supposedly gathered around him and said, this is the most magnificent thing that's ever happened in all of history, that God would go among men and allow himself to be crucified, raise himself. And they asked the question, the whole world needs to know this. Then they asked the question, how can they know? And Jesus simply said, I'm counting on them. I'm counting on them. Who? These 11 guys that bailed out? The 120 that showed up in the upper room? Yes, uh, the angels let us do it. No, I won't let angels do it. You can't do this. I'm counting on fallible, failing, saved people. I'm going to entrust them with this commission, with this gospel. I have no other means. No other means. So we come to Matthew 24, 25. Christ has outlined the end of the age and is saying he's going to come again. In 24 through 25, he gives three stories in which he says, until I come, I want my people to be watching for me, waiting for me, and then in this parable, working for me until I come back. Not just watching, not just waiting. I want them to be involved. And so the story goes that he tells of a man that takes his servants aside and he says, I want to make an investment in you. Uh, the talent, the talent was just a, it wasn't talking about your natural ability. It was a weight measurement. The English Standard Version Bible, the footnote says, a talent was equal to, let me be sure I get it for you, about 20 years worth of wages. One talent, 20 years worth of wages. So two talents, 40 years worth of wages. Five talents, 100 years worth of wages is what he deposits for these men. And he tells that he makes this investment in each man according to his ability. I'm going to graciously put on trust with you this talent. And he uses the measure of, in the temple, the menorah was one talent worth of gold. So it was a huge amount. I want to put this on deposit. Use it until I get back. Use it until I get back. Well, he makes the investment. What's the response? The first servant that got the five talent, it says he immediately went to work. Watch. He said in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. The man with two talents made two talents more. And what did the man with one talent do? He went out and immediately buried the treasure, buried the investment. Now, what's Jesus saying? I'm going away, and I'm going to put on deposit with you men my gifts, 
my trust, my gospel, who I am, the treasure of who I am. I'm going to entrust to you my resources out of my grace, and I want you to put them to use. This story is startling because the man who buries it winds up eternally being buried. The man who hid the treasure winds up being hidden for eternity, out of sight forever. And so he says that, what have you done with the master's investment and grace in you, each of us? Whatever, where did you get your brains? You didn't get to pick them, obviously. Is it something of arrogance in you or something you put to use for God? First Chronicles 29 says God gives you the power to make wealth. You got more money than the rest of us peons? What are you doing with it? God holds you to greater responsibility. He said he gave it according to ability. He thought you had the ability to make it work for his kingdom, not just to build bigger barns for you. What are you doing with the grace, enablements, opportunities, education, uh, parents, location, um, all these good things? The issue is not have you received them, but what have you done with them? How are they being used to show off the master's gracious trust in you? You know, uh, we often, this is a statement here in church all the time, put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. He'll never disappoint you. Well, this parable is about, I'm putting my trust in you. Will you disappoint me? I'm entrusting you with the gospel. I'm entrusting you with finances. I'm entrusting you with opportunities, health, intelligence, education, every good thing in your life. I've entrusted. How are you using it to say, I'm a gracious master that trusted you? There's no greater compliment probably among us than for someone to trust you. And God says, I'm putting my trust in you that you'll use my resources to bring me glory. Is God getting any glory and advertisement through the life you're living because of his grace to you? So the master goes away. He comes back, and there's an accountability. He wants everybody to give a report. The five-talent man comes. Lord, I took, went immediately to work, put the gifts you gave me, this huge amount of resources. I've been in the market. I've been however he used it, and I've doubled it. And the master says, you're a good, faithful servant. Uh, you handled the trust like I gave it to you. And because you've handled a little, I'm going to give you more to be over. No doubt in his kingdom, he gives cities, he gives, he, he's got plenty more to give us if he can trust us with a little. And he says to me, you passed the test. That was just the beginning. What I originally gave you, 
Now I've got much more that I'd like to turn over to you. And so he commends the faithful servant who happens to be the five-talent man. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let me ask you this. Will every believer hear that? I don't know the answer, but I got the question. Are there any believers? Because the guy that buries it here winds up in outer darkness. So he's actually using it of an unsaved man that buries the treasure of the gospel, buries the treasure of Christ. And so it's a startling parable that there's only two kinds of people, he's saying, those who will work for me till I come and those that bury every good gift of God and they show by that they don't even know me. But when we come to the believer, he said that every one of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive a reward for the things done in our body, whether they have been good or bad. And the idea is uh, the bad there is a word that means fallow ground, not morally bad, but whether they've been good or whether they've been wasteful. Did you know what all the time you spend is your favorite sport and, and watch all the teams, lots of football, lots of basketball? There's no reward for that. There's no reward for taking a shower and go ahead and take it. Uh, no reward for just eating. No reward for sleeping. Think of an average day of 24 hours. Let's suppose you get eight hours rest. Let's say you work on a job eight hours. There's 16 hours. You've only got eight left. Commute, eat, acknowledge your children, drive them to a sport. You don't have very much time in a day to give God anyway. You get people up too busy to serve in a ministry. You won't be too busy to die. And you won't be too busy to give an account. God's going to ask you what you have done with his investment in you. And he is invested in all of us. Well, he finally comes to the uh, last servant. And um, we pick him up. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, get this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. That's why you only gave me 20 years worth of investment. See, he's already built into his excuse making that the, the Master's a hard man. He's an unfair man. Matter of fact, you're rather crooked. You expect to reap where you haven't sown. So you really have unfair standards. You're ungracious. You're hard. And so he has this warped view of the master because he never did want to do the master's will. So let's warp our view of God. God is expecting too much. Our God is hard. God is this. God is that. Wait, wait, wait. This is the master 
who invested an incredible investment, put it on deposit with him, and instead of him saying, I thank you for trusting me. I thank you for your gifts. I thank you, thank you. The first thing he says, you're a hard man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine coming before Christ and saying, you're a hard man. That's why I didn't serve you. You expect too much. You're not gracious. He has this warped view of the master, accuses him of unethical dealings. Then he said, I was afraid. And so I went and hid the talent. Notice what the master's reply will be. You're a wicked man. You're an evil man. Two, you're lazy. That's your problem. There's nothing wrong with your God. There's something wrong with you. You're lazy. And if you knew I was this bad, even a dummy could put the money in the bank. You, you know I would at least want my investment plus a little bit of interest. You, come on. You could have done the minimum, but you don't go bury treasure in the ground. There's been a trust put in you. Don't bury your talent. Don't bury your opportunities. Don't bury the grace of God. I took God's good. And just imagine that unsaved man takes Christ and he buries him. I don't want anyone to know that I know Christ. I don't want to know, I don't want anyone to know that I know him, that I met him. I want to bury him. I only want to bring him up when I die. But I'm not going to mention that I know him at school. I'm not going to mention I know him on the job. He is something you keep buried until you die. Then it's too late. So the treasure is buried. And his excuse is, uh, I got such a hard God, I didn't think I could please him anyway. You have a gracious God, a gracious Father, and he's willing to put a trust. Your dad may not have trusted you, but God's willing to trust you. God's willing to trust you. How are you handling the deposit? Is it making any interest? Let me give you some summary points, five of them. No matter how much or how little your gifts are, ability, finances, opportunities, they must not be buried. They must be put to use. So I ask of you, dear grace receiver, what are you doing with the grace you've received? How are you using it? to promote this gracious God. Two, God's gifts should advertise his grace. God's gifts should advertise his grace. Look what I got. Look, look, he, he gave me a gift. He gave me a gift. I want you to see it. If somebody just gave you 20 years worth of finance and said, here, I want to give you a start in life. Would you be quiet about it? Now, you want to be quiet around some people because I want to borrow it all. But, I mean, that, that's something you don't bury. 
Now, look, this, this, this master I serve entrusted me with all this wealth. What a trust. Three, we all do not have equal talents, so don't be comparing yourself with someone else. You don't have equal intelligence, equal opportunity, uh, equality. Wow, it differs so much, every person, how you grew up, what you were given. Uh, but it's all a gracious God that's giving you what you've got. It's using what you've got and not fretting over what you don't have. Are you enjoying the house God gave you? Are you depressed because your friends have a nicer one? Are you enjoying the car you got? Are you enjoying the wife you got? I don't get the feeling you are. As quiet as it is in this room. Whoa. I'll, I'll brush right on. We must all give an account for what we've been given. When we come before Christ, he's going to praise our works. He says in 1 Corinthians, he's going to praise the motive for why you did what you did with what you had. He will judge the motives of the heart someday. He, he knows why you don't give and why you do give. He knows why you serve, why you don't serve. He knows all the excuses. He's heard them all. He's heard them all. You haven't invented a new one. He knows. He said, man, I've heard number nine for 2,000 years. Why well, I can't get involved. I've heard that one. Whoa, I first heard that in 35 A.D. And you, you, can't you come up with a new better lie for why you can't be a servant to this God that would invest in you? I think about... Uh, some people, you know why they never get involved? They don't want to take the risk. Is it right, hear me now, is it right to risk yourself for God? For the semi-deaf, I'll raise it again. Is it right to risk yourself for God? What do we mean by risk? It is taking an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. I will expose myself to the possibility of loss or injury. Listen to what Stephen Neal writes, History of Christian Missions. This is what he says. Undoubtedly, Christians under the Roman Empire had no legal right to existence and were liable to utmost stringency of the law. Every Christian knew that sooner or later he might have to testify to his faith at the cost of his life. It was risky business being a Christian in the first century.
It is a scary thing to be an American when there's so few willing to take a risk on anything divine. Some of you are afraid to get involved because you don't want to take the risk. You want guarantees. They may not show up. They may not like the way I teach. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to be faithful? Ask me about risk. Well, just being alive is a risk. Don't say you'll be here or there tomorrow. You may be dead within 24 hours. Don't get in your car. Don't you know people have car accidents? Don't you know your life is but a vapor? You don't have tomorrow. Scripture says don't think that way. You do not have tomorrow. You have right now. And any plans about tomorrow are just far-fetched wishes that God may or may not grant because you're but a vapor. We won't miss much if all of us die. Things will just keep going like they, they know I'm gone. They will as soon as they eat the deal at the church and a few words are said, we'll keep moving on. It was just temporary. But listen, did Abraham take a risk on God when God said, I want you to take the boy and I want you to climb up Mount Moriah and all the way up there, this boy that was 12 to 14 years of age kept tugging at Abraham and said, Dad, Dad, we're hauling this wood. Where's the sacrifice? Don't worry, son. God will provide. Now, Romans 4 said, while he's going up Mount Moriah in his mind, he said, I've already killed him. I've, I've already put the knife in him. Is that the life of faith? You, you call that taking a risk on God? You mean it may cost me my son if I obey you? You go. You won't know the outcome until you obey Hear me? I, a little Jewish girl down in the Medo-Persian Empire, one day her uncle Mordecai gets her to the side and says, Hey, Esther, you're married to, I'm about drunk here, uh, uh, you're, you're married to the king and uh, uh, you, you don't know what's going on. He's put out a decree to kill off everyone that's Jewish. And he's already set it on the calendar. We're going to die all on this date. Esther says, what, what do you want me to do? He said, you've got to go in and see the king. And you've got to touch his scepter and see if he'll grant you a favor. Now, she didn't say it, but the narrative is you don't go into the king's presence uninvited without facing a death penalty. You can't go see the king, even if he's your husband, unless you've, gotten, you've been invited. And she says, well, uncle, I will go. And if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. I don't have to come back alive. I want to at least go down trying to save my people. She took the risk. 
to trust God to deliver Israel. What about three Hebrew boys on the plains of Shinar, and they hear the instruction, we blow the trumpet, you bow. You bow. And if you don't bow, we're going to burn you alive in this huge furnace. And after the trumpet goes and the tambourines are played, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are still, still standing, refuse to bow, and the king is angry and all of his assistants. And they said, we're going to warn you one more time. You are outstanding Hebrew boys. We're going to, you must not have heard. We're going to do it again, and you best get on your knees. Wait, wait, O oh king, we're not sloppy in giving you our answer. We've already thought it through that uh, if you want, you must know this, the God we serve can't deliver us from the fiery furnace, but if he doesn't, we've decided we won't bow because we know who the true God is. You talk about taking a risk by faith? Where's our risk? Everybody wants guarantees. Nobody wants to walk by faith. You know what kills the church? It's not lack of money. It's a lack of faith. I just read Rick Warren saying recently, in the early days of a church, all they talk about is faith. In his last days, they just talk about money. Let me tell you, when we started Valley, we didn't talk about money. We talked about God. And I've always told the elders and deacons, I ain't going to worry about it now. It's all in his hands. He's called me to preach, not to raise the budget. That's in his hands. You don't believe me. You didn't come and start a church with no money. You don't know what it's like to go down there in an empty hall and no congregation and 19 people, 10 of them your own family. You don't know. You don't know. It was a risk. Failure was written all over it. We should have failed. We should have failed. We should have failed. But God said, take a risk on me. You'll fail if you don't go by faith. You want to waste your life? If you want to waste your life, live by sight and refuse to live by faith. And God will march you to death for 40 years. When you refuse to believe God, he's got other ways to take you out. It's called march, march, march. Get used to the desert. Unbelief is never rewarded. He that believes, to God, believes in God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards faith. He doesn't reward our oh, safety factor. I can't take a risk. Can't take a risk. Don't want my children exposed to this. I hear Jim Elliott say, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And when he goes down to Ecuador in the 50s, he and the other four men, Nate Saint and him and Rachel Saint, his sister, uh, the sister to Nate, they go down there. They said, we've got to make the gospel known to these headhunters. We've got to penetrate. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be risky. And I heard Stephen Saint say, my dad risked his life to win this tribe 
And then he does this. There's a ink tattooed man. Looked like he was about 70 years old. A little man over here next to him. And he said, but the village chief that I have with me came to Christ. Was it worth it? Was, was it worth it? It was worth losing my dad. It was worth my Aunt Rachel staying in Ecuador until she died of cancer. Lived there till she was nearly in her 80s. She went back where her brother was killed. Said, I'm going to stay until we reach the village. And we want you to teach a class. We, we want you to do something. Did you receive the same grace as these others? God deliver our backslidden hearts, our opulent, materialistic America. God forbid. This is not the Christianity Christ paid for. He paid for you to take everything he put in you and give it back to him in service. To be saved is to serve. Why don't you serve? Why don't you serve? You'll answer the question with him someday, and I'll look easy to turn down. Wait till a nail-scarred Savior asks, what did you do with my gifts? What did you do with the treasure of myself? What did you do? Were you willing to take any risk on me? I see about Epaphroditus in Philippians 2. It says that he was willing to risk his life to make up for your lack of service. And the word there for risk in the Greek language is parabolonai. And it became a name of a Christian group in 300 A.D. And they were the people who, get this, when you had a disease that no doctor would treat, it was these Christians that would treat you. If you were infected, they would treat you. If you were running a fever, they would treat you. And who was to pick up a dead corpse on the streets of Rome? It was this group, the Parabolonai. They were known as the risk-takers. I ask you, have you ever taken any risk to serve God? You know, most of my risks were written up to ignorance. I think of Carolyn and I going to Haiti. We were scared to death. We were only 20 years old. And Pop and Doc was there. It was scary. We slept in uh, a Cape Haitian where the voodoo doctors were going all night and the demons were being worshipped and the rats were running over the, the place we met with the natives under brush arbors, as it were, and watching the rats run and hearing the voodoo witch doctors' drums go all night. That's supposed to be a honeymoon. It's a pretty scary moon. I didn't get a kiss all the time we were there. Poor girl was frozen. Don't go to the mission field if you want to kiss. <laughs> Wrong place. Wrong time. Went to Jamaica. That, that was wonderful. That was easy compared to Haiti. Start this church. Then I look back. We should have failed. I didn't know how to start a church. 
I'm not a pastor. I've been a college teacher. I didn't know anything about a pastor. But I just obeyed the voice I heard. I obeyed the prompting. That's all I had to answer for. That's all I had to answer for. Some of you are missing out on the romance of risking everything for Jesus. I think of the Lees. Malcolm coming from Florida. Could have stayed with his brother, stayed in the construction business, had it made. They were both doing great. Comes out here to build chapels for after school chapels for kids. How stupid, Malcolm, to give up money to try to reach a bunch of kids in South Richmond. Stupid? The master won't say that. He said, you gave up the stuff men fight over in love for the sake of making Christ known. All you that are involved. How is God using you to use what he's invested in you? I ask you, where were you when God found you? Where would you be today had he not found you? Would you even be alive? And what have you ever done with this good gifts? That's the question. What are you doing with the talent he has on deposit with you? Because whether you know it or not, he's trusting us with a lot more than we ever give him credit for. It's not just trust Jesus. Jesus is trusting me. Or is that true? Maybe we need to edit Paul. He didn't know what he was talking about. No, he did and he used a banking term. He deposited the gospel with me. Is it growing? Is it prospering? Father, it's so hard to be a Christian in a pagan culture. It's so hard to be a Christian in America and look anything like Jesus. Everything is money, money, money. Everything is position, uh, guarantees, no risk, uh, play close to the vest. Can't, can't risk being hurt. Can't do that. We're following one who said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they hated me, they'll hate you. Can it be? Maybe we're exempt. Maybe we're exempt. We're a different kind of Christians. Maybe we don't look enough like you, Jesus, to ever bring on any resentment. But I would like to say it's been marvelous serving you all these years. These some 55 years that I've known you and tried to serve you, they've been magnanimous. Jesus, you've always taken the coldest side of the mountain. You've always stood with me in the bleakest storm. I find serving you is love and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. You are a benevolent master. Though I may just have the one talent, oh, every gift, every talent, every ability, every opportunity I've had came from a gracious master. Father, 
You said if we're faithful in the little, you'd give us a larger sphere. And I think of where you brought this little church from the Holy Ghost Hall to here. Somebody, somebody's been faithful. People have been faithful to teach, to give, to serve, to love, to care. And you've rewarded over and over. I give myself away. I'm sorry, Lord, if I, if I had my choice, I'd sign up under your banner and start all over again. But the next 40 years, I'll see you face to face. But if I had 100 years to live, I'd want to sign up under you again. For I found in you nothing but grace, kindness, mercy. I want to serve under your banner for as long as I have breath. If you're there, ask yourself, have I buried God's gifts? Have I put them out of sight? The gift of his son, the gift of his mercies or have I received his greatest gift Jesus to bury the treasure of all treasures is to be eternally hid from God for the high Christ is to be hid by God is there anyone here Lord that's never took Christ and got him above ground as said I know him I have him I want to share with you the treasure God has given me in Jesus. And then after that, every good gift, whatever they may be, oh, Father, may we give ourselves to you. Let us stand. Let us sing. We want you to serve. Sign up today. Find a place to serve.